In a world of store-bought items and a world that seems to never slow down, we make with our hands and tools. Here at Woolen Spinning Radio, we take a moment to breathe, to chat, to reflect. As the world continues in a whirlwind around us, we sit quietly at our spinning wheels with our knitting needles or on our looms. The gentle motion of twisting a spindle, watching it dropping slowly to the ground, or the click-clack of needles tapping against each other as we turn a heel, brings solace and comfort. We make with our hands because we love the process and value our handmade items. While they are never perfect, our yarns might be gently thick and thin or just plain over-twisted. In this place, we discuss what it means to be a maker, to use our hands. Join us as I chat with others in our community about these ideas, challenges, and rewards. Thank you for your time spent here in this place. You are always welcome. Why don't we start with um, who you are? Because <laughs> I know you and I've known you for a while, but it only obviously like online. Mm-hmm. Um, but we sort of started to get to know each other a little bit in person because you were able to come in December to a couple of the maker mornings and sort of, it's nice to put a face and a personality to a screen name. Um, so do you, would that be okay to start off by just sort of introducing yourself to the community? Yeah, yeah. So my name is Greta Lynn. Um, my first and my middle name and um do you go by Gretelyn like is that yeah and um I was born on the east coast of the USA um up in New England in Massachusetts and um was the bearer of many hand-knit items as a child (laughs) (laughs) the best It, it was really I have some great aunts that are just like prolific knitters and um I think I was talking to Diane about this. I have this one great aunt who made my sisters and I Easter sweaters every year. Wow. Children. So, and she would, when we got older, she would invite us over and she would just have books of patterns and she'd be like, pick what you want. And she would like assemble it. And I remember one time I picked out one with like a bazillion baubles on it. And she, she had this like look on her face like, okay. If only you had known, hey. Only I had known. Now I know. But, um, and so I kind of always had hand-knit items and I knew about it. And um, when I was in high school, I got a huge like crochet stitch dictionary. And I didn't like any of the projects in the book. I just went straight to the dictionary and just like practiced all the stitch, the stitches that they had there and really enjoyed like, accomplishing that tiny little swatch, you know, of complicated stitches. And then I went to college. Um, my husband and I are graduates from art school in Savannah, Georgia, which is also an East Coast school yeah. in the USA. And he was animation, so all computer stuff, and I was um, illustration. So I have my BFA in illustration. And thought that I would be doing a lot of like children's book illustrations, things like that. Cause I love to draw and paint, but um, just as I was like starting to get published and get shows, like we started having kids and I put it down for a while so I could just be with the kids when they were really, really small and be fully present there with them. So now the kids are older and we've made a cross country move. So when we came here, I had a really old pair of mittens back from way at home. 
and I'd had them for like 15 years and I had worn out the very tops of them. And I remember talking to my cousin being like, I, I don't know how to fix them because I don't know how to knit, I only crochet. And she's like, well, sounds like you need to learn how to knit. <laughs> Basically she used to fix them for me, which was good. And I, I think it was like 2016 because we just moved here and the kids were all still pretty small. They were like one, one, two, and four at the time. Oh, wow. And okay. Yeah. It's a hard time anyways. You're in the trenches. Yeah. You're in the trenches, but they go to bed at like eight o'clock. So I thought, okay, once they're in bed, I can like knit and sp- I had just bought like a drop spindle and Abby Frankmont's book about spindling. I thought, surely I can figure it out if I just have this block of time and these like few tools and yeah I just it just took off great where was the cross-country move to so I live we live in Oklahoma now which is in the middle of the states we're actually really we're right in tornado alley (laughs) oh no way (laughs) of all the places my parents back in the east coast still be like I think I think the weather's getting bad out there I'm like "Eh, people are still out in their back Yard watching. <laughs> Not that close. Towns <laughs> over. Oh but. my gosh! Wow. What brought so, you guys to Oklahoma? Do you mind me asking? Uh, no, my husband was. He worked as an animator in Orlando for about nine or ten years. Okay. And, um, we just needed a change, and we're ready to get a different schedule that worked better for our family. And he always wanted to teach, so he got a job as a professor at a um, Baptist university here. That's amazing. So yeah, he's working over there doing photography and he does all my photography, so. Okay, I was wondering. (laughs) He's so obliging. I'll be like, hey, I finished this sweater. Do you think you could take a picture? And he'll be like, sure, no problem. That's amazing. Well, and your photos are, they're just fantastic. So yeah, yeah. Well, and actually compliments to him because like I've had to do this with Mike, um, my husband, you need them to take certain photos to be able to show sort of what you did. Like, it's not just the modeled photo. You need like the raglan and you need the this and you need the that. Yeah. It's nice to be able to see all those details, right? It's kind of funny how he starts learning the terms. He'll be like, so what about those, that decrease section? You want to put on that? I'll be like, sure, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's amazing. Mike's the same way. Yeah. That's so cool. So you started playing around with the book, with Abby's book, and you had your drop spindle and you started to play around with knitting needles. So like, how did you go from, like, how was that transition from, like, do you still crochet a little bit? No, not at all. Mostly knitting, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Your aesthetic and stuff is kind of very knitted fabric though. Like the stuff, like, you know, I think there's sort of that different aesthetic um, that you get when you crochet versus knitting. And a lot of the patterns you choose are, um, well, you, I think you and I have very similar tastes because like the sweater you're knitting is in my queue or the one that you're wearing, it's in my queue. <laughs> um, yeah. So you, you know, you can get that, that sort of certain fabric when you're knitting. So how was, how was that transition and learning to spin and you started on drop spindle? Like, what was that like? Well, so what happened was I, when I first wanted to learn how to knit, I thought, I am by myself in a place where I don't know anybody. Totally. We just, 
I need to go online and find something that will teach me that will be really clear. Yeah. And I could maybe call my aunt if I get really, really, you know, yeah, really stuck. And um, Tin Can Knits had this, their simple collection. I thought, mm-hmm. sure, I could just start with the, the scarf. Wow. And they tell you at the end, you could make the sweater at the end. And I thought, I could, well, I could do the steps. I'll do it. Perfect. So I, I walked through their simple collection and switched over to hand spun about halfway through. Okay. So I wanted my like hand spinning to sort of progress alongside my knitting so that by the time I got to the sweater, which I think is the flax sweater. Yeah, it is. Like I could do it out of hand spun. So I sort of set that goal for myself, not with like a, I didn't have like a time goal. I just knew that like, that was the end point I wanted. That was kind of the progression. Right. When you started spinning, was your goal always to use your hand spun? Like was, was your goal to spin like learn to spin so that you could work with hand spun or was it just to learn to spin like those are two different goals right no definitely to to work with my hand spun so at the time I had some yarn but I didn't have a really big stash and I never once I started spinning I was like I just can't see going and buying more yarn if I could just make it if I make it the way I want it then I'll wear it so Um, and there's like there, I have a lot of skeins that I made that are not awesome and they sort of sit in my closet and I still feel a little bit like, oh, it doesn't have, a pl- I don't have a place yet for that. I don't have a use for that yet. So <laughs> I, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was looking at my boxes the other day and I was like, what am I going to do with you? I need to do something with you. What am I going to do? It seems easier on my mind to like make what I want than to make something and then try to find something that fits it later. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So it seems intuitive to me to like, okay, this is how many wraps per inch I want. This is the gauge I'm looking for in the fabric and it out of this particular fiber. So I'm just going to go for it all in and just sort of just, run into it. Yeah. So how long were you on a spindle for then? Cause you spin on a wheel now. I know you still dabble with your spindles like many of us. No, I try to do at least one spindle project a year. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. start. Um, I started spindling in the fall of 2016 and then about five months later I got a wheel. Okay. And was but- that because you wanted, like, was there something specific you were looking for to switch from a spindle to a wheel? Was it speed or space yeah. or just a natural progression? Yeah. Yeah. Because I was making small little things with it. And I was like, I'm, I'm on my knitting journey here. It says the flax sweater is coming. <laughs> and I don't want to spindle it if I don't have to spindle it. So totally. Um, I think it was not necessarily like the drafting and the spinning, which I enjoy, but it was like the managing of the balls of that many skeins, I think for me. Yeah. And plus having the children around and like having to hide things. Yeah. Oh, for a long time, I had to hide all my stuff in the closet so that nobody would climb on it or, you know, so yeah. I just, I wanted to new sweaters and I knew that, I could, I could devote a little bit more time to like figuring out what my hands were doing if I kind of had the twist already taken care of with the treadling. So, 
Totally. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. So tell me about your process. Tell me about like how you, how was that flax sweater, by the way? <laughs> did you actually make it? I did. It's right here. No way. So this was your first hand spun, hand knit sweater, right? This was the first one? Yeah. So on Ravelry at the time, I was like a lurker around, there's like a fleece market there. Yeah. And that was sort of like just where I lived. I just hung out around the fleece market and when people, oh, look at that. There's a new one. Someone else is talking about fleece because at the same time that I was, I was just about to get my wheel. I had gotten Deb Robeson's fleece and fiber source book, which right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I kind of treated it more like a catalog and was like, well, I would like, shopping. yeah, yeah. So this was, um, from a flock in the UK of um, Ryland sheep that we don't have. We don't have Ryland in the US. Yeah, or in Canada. We don't have them in Canada either. No, they're not in North America. It's really spongy. Mm. And, I, and it's obviously like multicolored. It had a really, it was really forgiving for a first sweater and a newer spinner. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's like a glove, it's, it, wow. it works it's such a simple sweater design too, that I feel like it's. Yeah. Was that um, looking at the fabric? Um, was, have, you've obviously worn it a ton. Yeah. So was the, um, I mean, it still looks amazing. So like, what was the prep? Like, like did you did, it was a fleece. So you did the prep. So you yeah. had to, for, so for your first sweater, <laughs> I'm trying to like wrap my head around this, your first sweater, you got the fleece, did the thing, got it washed and clean, scoured it. And then you went through that sampling process. So what was that? Because I know your sampling process now is very different. So like, what was that like? Well, I mean, I have hand. Don't know what you don't know at that point, right? Yeah. I think all my Rolags were really tight. (laughs) I was like rolling it off the hand cards. And, but there was something because it was a spotted fleece. I kind of got in this good groove of like, where on the hand cards to put the colors that I wanted so that as I spun through the Rolags, I always spun gray to black to gray. Wow. And then, so then I, it was, as I was spinning, I could see, okay, I'm starting to see how much striping is happening. And if I want, how can I manage where the stripes are going to go? It was really good for me to just sort of sort of not have a plan with the color and then make it as I was making the Rolex. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think it's actually really amazing. And maybe it's your background as an illustrator uh, and your, just your art, your art sort of background, um, like having, I don't mean art, but I mean like your formal education. Cause I, my mom sees things differently. Cause she's got a BFA. Mm-hmm. Um, so she sees things differently sometimes and she picks up on things a bit differently from that formal studio artist training that she's got. It's so it's like amazing to me that for your first, like you're relatively new spinner and in your first project, you're thinking about that, like as you're doing it and you're sort of seeing it unfold in front of you, like most people wouldn't have put that together that, that you could do that and manipulate it like that so that you would have a little bit of homogeny in your finished yarn. Like that just for most people would have, whoo, cause they're, kind of more focused on doing the thing, creating the roll leg and then spinning the thing. 
so often stuff like that and those little considerations kind of get put to the back burner for later. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, since I, I do a lot of watercolors and oh, that there, makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of like watercolor that's sort of like, oh, you know, we're going to just do it and see what happens. But if you're trying to like build something really cohesive and you have a deadline, there's a lot of just like pre-planning that happens. Right. You know, like very intentional about where the colors go and how they layer on top of each other. And there's almost like a formula, right? That you sort of, as a, as an individual artist, start to develop your own kind of way of going through that. Like I have here, like, because I have my paints out all the time, yeah. like I'm like little tiny swatches and then I write little notes to myself. So like, for instance, I'm in a weaving class right now and the, professor was said okay at the end of the semester start thinking about what kind of fabric and yarns you want to have for your final and I and we were talking a lot about like slubby silk and I thought that is I want to do that so when we got the Sanjo quote code I thought "Mm, this would be good for me but I had to think about like what colors of the silk I wanted to plan for and I'm still planning even though it's like several you know weeks ahead of time and I don't even know how to weave yet but I feel like I've got (laughs) I'm working on the colors (laughs) yeah 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 that's like 90 (laughs) percent when I get there hopefully it'll be I mean and I know there's going to be mistakes but the thing is is I think I think this this kind of process this is why I wanted to talk to you I think these these process things there it's really important to share with each other because Maybe we can talk about, about your, um, cause you had posted them in the Slack channel, those little cards that you do with your watercolor. And I've started doing them because I talked to my mom about it and I got a whole bunch of her mixed media paper. And I was like, I'm not a dyer yet. Like I can die, but I'm not like a good dyer, but to put these things together, it, it, you, you have to come up with a bit of a way of working and a way of doing it. Um, right you know, like the Sanjo box is a great example because those bases, the silk bases, you're, you're looking at naturally colored silks. Right. And then you're putting color on top of it. So, and then you posted in the Slack channel, was it yesterday or the day before? Your, so, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, your little um, watercolor cards. So do you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah. So we're kind of skipping around a bit, but that's okay. <laughs> you um my last kid actually is in school now so I'm I've actually started adjuncting at the same university in town in their art department and I'm teaching color theory so for me there's a strange um amount of crossover between I have students that are students to me in color theory class but they are also fellow students of me in weaving does that make sense? Oh, that's interesting. So if I make poor choices of color in weaving class, it looks very bad. <laughs> it's really color <laughs> theory. Greta so, Lynch doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> but I've, I've taken a lot. I mean, color is kind of like where I am anyways. Yeah. And that it doesn't scare me at all. I just have to be really mindful about my choices and um, and think it through and try to remember like what colors play really well together and what colors might not play really well together. And so for me to like take out 
like a small piece of paper and just start mixing cues that I'm already really familiar with, you know, like, and then finding, you know, like, let's say we need an accent color for this and just trying all things that like make sense for me. And is this, you know, like, is there too much, um, is there too much contrast? Is there not enough contrast? You know, what does it say? There's so many like emotional things that happen with color too that totally sometimes I think with all of us when we're like making projects it's hard to separate like good color from the emotional response we have from 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 a particular color because I really like orange but sometimes orange is not the answer so Mm. which is great I mean we have a lot of freedom so yeah, you could wear orange all you want, but there are some colors that play better with orange than others, so. Right, so for your weaving there, like you've got all the little things that you can sort of put on top and play with, like in your mind's eye, are you sort of looking at those, um, like color and weave is such a like huge topic and you're just delving into that for on fabric, like for fabric and weaving and stuff. So like if you're looking at that um, and you're looking at the, tussa is the base so the tussa is not white like white mulberry is right it's got that that gorgeous creamy undertone Uh then you're looking at those colors that you've got on your card and you're kind of superimposing those over top and sort of playing with what those colors are going to look like and then you and having them all dyed like because you dyed too right um so I will say this I do not really I have this like weird affinity for lichens. And so I've been, I've been collecting lichens. That's awesome. We hike a lot. So if there's just, if there's lichens on like fallen stuff or it's fallen for, I, I pick it up and I have a really good dye book that deals with lichens. And so I've been exploring that and I have, so when I did my modern dye, which is a really big blanket from, um, oh, from Kate Davies. Yes. I, I know I, I recognize the name. Yeah. So yeah, I know I love her names. Mm-hmm. So these are all lichen. These, these are either natural colors of the fleeces. They're all Shetland. Oh. This is natural and the black is natural. The gray is natural. The black is natural, but the pinks are all lichen dyed. Wow. So. Do you want to hold that up so you can really see it? Yeah. It's really pretty fascinating. Like the process of getting the, the dyes. Wow. That's amazing. Greta. Thank you. Wow. And my parents live in an area in new England on the East coast that has a really particular lichen that gives fuchsias and there's not really many places you can get that lichen. So when I'm there and there's a lot of it, I try to get it like once a year and wow, bottle it up and use it really, really sparingly. But that's my extent of dying. <laughs> That's cool. So then when you're looking at that Tessa, um, your Tessa card there, are you mm-hmm. thinking about adding in, like you've got the naturally colored Tessa with those colors? Yes. And adding yeah. those colors in from other sources? I'm thinking about like, because when I was ordering, I didn't order the actual spin box. I went rogue and ordered sort of in ratios. So I ordered way more Tessa, probably doubled the Tessa so that the base could be kind of that champagne color. The color of the card, right? Right. 
Right. And of course, it has not arrived yet. So it's possible that this may, <laughs> may need to be adjusted. I don't know. That's pretty close if you look at it. Yeah, that is pretty if close. I can put it in front of my face. That's the Tessa. So, yeah. yeah so I was thinking of having that as warp and saving some of it as sections of weft that are also the same as the warp. Yeah. And then having the peduncle and the muga as like several threads. And then I picked like a super, super electric fuchsia, which is way out of my <laughs> comfort zone. Way out of my comfort zone because I don't really wear pink very often. But um, it's really electric, but it's a lot of, it's fun and it looks very exciting. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. But I mean, it could come out terrible. I don't know. It's, we'll see. <laughs> dreaming weave right like yeah it's a it's a learning curve like people spend their entire careers on color and weave look at jane stafford like that's all she's done with her whole career mm -hmm. is color and weave so i mean there's no inherent time pressure like you try something and then you take that and you take it one step further you know and you push it this way or you push it this way like if I could just be a full-time weaver and just be a professional weaver and play at the loom all day, every day, like that's, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be set. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is amazing because you, like for most of us, maybe not all of us, but like you have to sort of fit it in and yeah. carve out time and. Yeah. So you've got, three, yeah. Cause you've got three kids, you're working part-time. Like, what does that look like? Cause you started off doing all of this sort of carving out time in the evening probably right. what many of us do from eight till 10 PM kind of thing. That's a, I'm not a TV watcher. So for me, it's like many you know, of us in our community aren't. Yeah. There's too many other things to do. <laughs> yeah. When we first moved here, my husband had never taught before. Um, and he basically had to like form all of his own syllabi and write all of like every class out. And so he was just sort of like that eight to 10 was him just trying to like stay afloat in the collegiate system. And we would oftentimes like make tea and I would sit down and spin while he was like trying to sort it out. So we were like together, but not doing the same thing. Um, now, now that we've kind of been at it for about four years, I'm I like I get to nine or eight o'clock and I'm like, I just want to knit. That's all. It was. Yeah. Maybe spin if it's like default spin. Yeah. But, but if I, it's too mind bending. Yeah. Cause I'm just like, I'm already now that we're working and stuff, I find that I'm better in the morning. Like if I can do a little bit of spinning in the morning before I have to teach, then I make more progress and I feel better about it. And the light in the house is better in the morning. So I like, I'd rather be working in like daylight than like with one like awkward overhead light. Yeah, kind of artificially making you feel like it's daytime and it's not really right. trying to feel tired and right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you did your flax sweater and you did, you went through the whole process. So when you were done, like what, what, Tell me what that was like. Like, you know, how did you feel? What, what, what were some of the things you learned? What were some of the things that you applied to the next project and the next and the next? Uh, I think for that one, I, it's really a simple design. Yeah. So when I, it really empowered me to be like, okay, 
I could step up my knitting game now. And I was proud of my yarn. So I thought, okay, I can do more. And then it kind of became more about not just being able to make a sweater, but being able to make the right yarn for lace or the right yarn for something really squishy and stiff. Or that's kind of where it sort of took off after that because I felt like I could do it, you know? Yeah, you feel so empowered, like you say. So I started, I think this... This one, this one I did next. So this is a Icelandic. Oh, sweater. wow. I'm going to put you big. So just hold it up and put you on speaker view so you can really show it. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It was a really good learning experience for me because it was mostly single spinning and I was still a new spinner. I thought it was great, but now that I'm I can definitely see there's some biasing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you did like a low-piece style yarn. Right, right. And, but it was so accessible because it wasn't like I didn't have to have a fancy ratio. I could keep the ratio low. And I had found a farm that had a, like so many different colors of Icelandic sheep as part of their herd that I felt like the sky was the limit for me. Yeah. And I had a lot of space out back where... Like I have a screen door that is on its side and propped up with like soft horses. And so for me, getting a fleece and laying it out and taking my time to sort through it was no, no big deal. Like if the kids are outside, I would just hang out in the shed and check on them. That's amazing. Sort through some looks. But for this one, I had never done color work. So that was sort of like my skill I wanted to do for this. Right. Um, and it's pretty tight where the color work is but I I could figure it out enough where I felt like then I could go on and do more complicated yeah yeah that's very cool so then from there what did you want to do um I went because this I had all like in the last three to four years right like this this all started in like what 2016 <laughs> yes that's amazing I had a family member go are you going to night school <laughs> Well, yes, pretty much. You're putting yourself through like a spinning certificate, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked, I really love fleeces. So for me, I would like follow people and then buy my fleeces in the spring and then sort of sort them out over the summer. And I mean, you know, like the more you handle something, the more you think about what you could do with it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So just having a variety of like, even discount fleeces, you know, even the cheap crummy ones, you know, at least you could say this would be terrible for this, but it would be really nice for something else. So that really helped. And I really wanted to make, like I had set myself a goal. One of the years I'm going to learn how to knit lace. I, I just want to do it. Cause I know my grandma would love something in lace like that. I had the goal. I knew I wanted to make something for someone specific but I had never read a lace chart before. Right. So, That's kind of its own thing unto itself. Right. So instead of like, I should have just had like a really simple project, but instead of doing that, I went and got like this Shetland lace workbook, which is amazing. And I thought, well, I mean, I'll just make a sampler and see how it comes out. And it was, it was so informative yeah. to like, like basically read it for six months and think about it for six months and try it for six months and then sort of go for broke on what you want to do. 
Cause I'm a monogamous knitter. So I don't, yeah, I, I just can't do too many. Like I'm already, usually I'm spinning something at the same time as knitting something. And oftentimes I'll be painting. So there's, I got, if I have a hand, one craft, one item in each craft, that's enough for me. <laughs> that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you find, um, being multi-craftual like that? Like, how do you find kind of shifting gears like that? What's that like? Cause like Felicia's talked about that a lot, um, on, uh, taking back Fridays. Like she talks a lot about sort of that balance. Um, you, even, you even kind of alluded to it a minute ago about, um, sort of the seasons, like, you know, you get the fleeces in the spring, you skirt them over the summer, get them cleaned. And, you know, right. so what's that like? Yeah. I don't know. I've found like in the summer, I like to sew a little bit more. Mm-hmm. If I sew. Um, yeah. Cause you make some of your own clothes, right? I do make some of them. I'm, but I'm still so like novice you know, I think it's a pretty logical progression if you're making your own knits to like want to make your own clothes. Um, but there are times where I'll spin to avoid painting. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll be painting and then I'll, I'll get like, I'll make some mistake or I'll be really frustrated and angry and I'll just like turn the light off <laughs> and not look at it for like two weeks. And <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But when I go back to it, I'm like, oh yeah, I know what I did wrong. I can fix it now. But there are enough to like break, like break up the, the, um, like the block when you get the block. Yeah. Yeah. Which. Cause they're totally different. They're totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're all creative obviously, but they're yeah. Very different things. And with your painting, are you doing a lot of things that are, um, like commissions or like jobs? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and that's different too. Right. It's yeah. Like totally for you. Yeah, totally. And it's really more intimidating to come up with something from nothing than to like to follow a pattern. Right. I feel like spinning is almost more like painting for me because like, even though I know that it has to fit this sweater, I still have to like make a lot of the choices along the way from the raw material and that that can be kind of intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your sampling process and what you go through to create, like, um, you know, when you first get the fleece and you've got it clean and you've skirted it and stuff, like what, what's that process like for you from, from starting to figure out what you want it to be and the pa- choosing your knitting patterns and figuring out the yarns and like, what's that like? Well, so you had said a little while ago that somebody kind of shamed you about your Ravelry, like favorites being big. Mm-hmm. That's totally me. Like I, <laughs> Ravelry is really overwhelming for me, but if I can like curate my like 200 that I like, then when I need to search for something, like I just search what I already have totally. like picked. And it makes it really simple. And then um, like I'm impulsive when I select that pattern for later, but then when I really know exactly what I want. Yeah. The process is more simplified. Totally. Like for instance, right now I'm, I had said, well, for work, I really need cardigans. So I already like, okay, I need a cardigan and I wanted it to be silver and I wanted it to be lace. So for me using the search engine within my favorites really helped for that. Right. So when I went to go buy a fleece for it very specifically, okay, what kind of like, I want the lace to open up. So I really wanted to be a two ply and I would like it to be shiny and I would like it to have drape. So 
when I, I went looking for a farm or someone that I already knew where I could get a long wool that was going to be soft enough for a cardigan. You know, like there's so many little like, yeah. Thick. Yeah. You need sheen, uh, you need length, you need length, right. you need a worsted prep. Right. Mm-hmm. So I ordered it and I got it and I was so, ex- you know, that like, like happy rush when it comes in, you can smell it. <laughs> and right away I'll wash it in the sink, like just a couple locks and spin it. I do all my sampling on my spindles and then I just leave them out on the island in our kitchen and I'll just pick up the yarn for like a week and just walk by, pick it up, think about it. Like I don't put it away because then I'll for, then I'll sort of lose, you know, I'll get too distracted. But if I leave it out, then it's like, okay, this is what we're thinking about. It's funny and you then- say that because Kate, Kate Fasted, I went to a talk with my mom years ago, like back in the nineties, um, where he talked about that. If you want to work with your stuff and you want to use it, you have to leave it out. Like do yeah. Number one mistake that people do, putting it away. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just don't, like, you don't see it. You just out of sight, out of mind. It's like laundry. <laughs> now, if we could just, like, the laundry fairies could just come around. <laughs> if we leave it out and then maybe the little gnomes could just take care of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll usually, like, right now I have a little dish on our island that has, like, the next three projects okay so like I have some cotton some like actual cotton from just a few miles from here and I spun it and it's really nice um but I've left it out like I have my little sample skein it's really small and I just keep it out there and I like pick it up and I think about it and do I want to dye it do I want to leave it white that kind of thing and then when I'm ready I'll take it and I'll knit with the sample I made at the very beginning, like on that first day that I got the fleece or that first week. And I'll see how it feels. And then I'll sort of make my adjustments of what I need for the, that's sort of like, if it says, like, I really, really find having like a good table of like wraps per inch and yardage per pound. Yeah. Help. I got one way back. Do you know who Mary Berry is? Mm-hmm. So I saw Mary Berry in Texas and visited her and she was like, oh, honey, you need this. And I, <laughs> she okay. was so, uh, thank you so much. Cause I didn't know how to like calculate grist. Yeah. And when you're in sweater, you know, you need that like tool to help you with yardage. So I would like take my little card out. Sometimes I'll leave it out right next to all my samples and the Legos <laughs> and all the other little things that are yeah. out there. And then like, it's, oh, it's calls for fingering. All right, I'll make fingering. I'll, I'll basically spin the fiber until I get exactly what I want and I'll wash it and I'll, you know, I'll make, make a little swatch and um, see how it feels, you know, hold it, like wear it around my wrist or hold it right up here for a while, see how it feels. And then I'll just calculate my yardage and I have a really nice scale and just weigh everything out and go. Wow. Um- why do you wait to do your knitted swatch? Is it so that you can kind of um, have the yarn for a while before you sort of use it up into the swatch? Yeah. Yeah, well, some of it, yes. Because a lot of the fleeces I buy are on the small side. Oh, so. okay. you don't necessarily have a whole bunch of extra fiber to play with? 
I've done a lot with like Finn and Shetland where, you know, it's like two pounds. And yeah, they're tiny fleeces. You know, that's pretty, or I'll get like a half fleece. Some farms will offer, like let you order half of a fleece or lamb fleeces are kind of smaller. And they're just a little bit more manageable in the washing stage for me. 11 pounds, just like, you know, it, I mean, it's such a great, thing but it's overwhelming for me to wash that much a lot of fleece yeah so when you have a really small amount of fleece to work with I don't like to use too much and I don't make too many swatches I try to like make one that's really close and then just sort of like mentally make my changes and yeah. write every, I have a little notebook and I write everything down oh okay yeah and I'll usually have like a strand in there so I remember what I did and I'm you know, number of treadles when I ply and things like that. Yeah. Do you get into a lot of that technical stuff? You know, I don't calculate twist angle with a tool. Mm. I think that you eyeball it. I usually eyeball it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I would say though, I, I will say this, the very first things that I've made were underplied. And as I knit with them, I unplied them. So that mm. I knew that, that was one of my like, when you, I think you were talking about it too, when we were talking about socks. Yeah. Cabled socks. I unknit them. Yeah. So you just find them. Yeah. All the eyes are just laying there on the needles and you say, oh, why did I even ply it? It's just, I'm flying. It's, yeah. So I'm kind of at the point where I usually just put a little more ply twist in. To compensate for that. To compensate for that. Um, Is it but, just the way you knit? I know for me, it's just the way I twist my wrist. I um, think it. Yeah. But, but that's like, that's, that's really always a tool. Yeah. And learning, I think too, how much law I still am can, like, I'm still a little bit murky on loss after washing because mm. I like a lot of long wools. And I also like to work with like Icelandic and some of those heritage breeds that there's not much bounce and loss at the end. No. And go so to make something in Merino and I'm like, <laughs> do I want to recount my yardage <laughs> yeah I should just I should have some the apparatus to count it as it goes but I have not gotten there yet but one day one day I don't recount my yardage very often unless I know that it's going to be tight um right. and it's funny because the one time I didn't uh for my gentle morning mm -hmm. that was that three ply it was a three ply ply cheviot and I didn't recount my yardage and I was like down to the last two or three yards yeah I was the only time that's happened where it's been that tight and um that was the last time I think that I I, I think I think that was enough to kind of like say I, you, I need to check my loss there, yeah yeah it would be very clammy knitting for me. I'd be like, oh. I'm so stressed. I think those last, um, the last like two inches on both the sleeves, because I did them at the same time to make them the same length, just because I knew I was down to the last. Uh -huh. uh, the, the cuffs were really tight when I first started wearing them. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, doesn't matter. It's ribbing, it'll come out. <laughs> but I, I know my gauge was different. <laughs> And I think with my Icelandic sweater, like I was at the end, I had, I, cause I was looking the other day, I was like, surely I have more of that fleece left. And there's not a single lock to be found anyway. Gone. Wow. But it was small too. You're like, they're really little. 
Yeah. Icelandic sheep are not. They can be. They can be. Yeah. <laughs> the primitive breeds, I mean, they do tend to produce smaller fleeces, you know? So yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you don't necessarily, like you sort of think, oh, you know, they must be such big, hardy sheep. They're so ancient, blah, blah, blah. And then you see them and you're like, oh, they're actually really quite small. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell me about your sweater you're wearing right now? So this is the Winterfell's cardigan um, by Katrin Schneider. And it's, I think, when did I make that? In the springtime. Cause I had no cardigans and it, again, it was like, I need a cardigan. I need to some, you know, a pullover. You're, you're committing to the sweater. Either you wear it or you don't wear it. Um, That's a really interesting way of putting it. Cause I always feel like that with pullovers. I mean, they're great, but, yeah. it's either, but at least this way I could sort of unbutton it if it get hot, but it's Finn lamb and oh, by golly, it is like my pilliest sweater. And I, yeah, it's a three ply fingering weight I think it's fingering it might be DK um or maybe even sport but it is just like I asked for a gleaner for Christmas just for this <laughs> this sweater but it is so soft like yeah. I can wear my skin and it doesn't bother me at all it was one of the That's most gorgeous shape yeah it was like chocolate wow quite black but yeah. close it's beautiful and then you reinforce the button band. Yeah, so it's kind of floppy, but no, yes. it's pretty. I like it. Thank you. This these is like the recommended size buttons for it. Yeah. And it has a really hard time staying closed, not because of the sizing, because it's the correct size. When it's closed, it fits really well. It's just I think my buttonholes are super big. So Oh, they may be stretched out over time too it, from use. Stretched out. Mm-hmm. So, and I, but I don't want to undo my button. <laughs> uh, can you take off the buttons without taking off the button band? Uh, I could, I could, and then I would have to redo it all. I don't know. Like yeah. I like, the, I like the buttons a lot. So I would much rather like find a way to make the button holes smaller than. I have I a don't... thought. Um, I'm, I'm stealing this from either Charlotte or Diane. I can't, I mean, they're sisters. I'm always like, which one of them had that great idea? Um, I think it might've been, did I, um, it doesn't matter which one of them, but one of them said, I thought this was a great idea because I have the same problem on my, one of my little cardigans that I made. It was like a shrug. Uh And one of them suggested um, making, um, so taking your, the same fabric that you've got on your button side Mm -hmm. and doing buttonholes at like the intervals that are on your sweater. So you just mark it with a little, with a Sharpie, just a dot. Mm -hmm. Do button holes on your sewing machine that are the correct size for those buttons on that sweater and sew it on the backside. (laughs) They're brilliant. I was like sitting there listening to, I can't remember which one of them said it. It was in book club one afternoon. And I was just sitting there like mind blown, like just poof. <laughs> I was like, of course, that's how you would fix it. It's like a combo of crafts. What a good idea. Yeah. And so many times we put, like I'll put, um, this sweater doesn't have them, but I'll put um, 
the really tiny uh, tailoring buttons, the clear ones that are really super small that you have inside men's shirts to re that so that the shirt lays properly. Um, yeah. I'll often do that on the back. And so I thought, well, of course, like you could do that kind of hack type stuff, right? Right. It is, it is so true. I think a lot of it is like the nature of the fin is just not like poofy. Like it's just not a big squishy fluffy. And it's not probably super, super elastic. Like, you know how fin doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have that. It's not like Cormo or Rambo where it's going to like, just, so when you stretch out that buttonhole, once it's sort of stretched. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and which is good for me to remember too, because I'm knitting with Cotswold right now and I'm making buttonholes and I'm like, mm, this is gonna probably not get smaller. <laughs> yeah. So you either need to go up a size in your buttons mm -hmm. or make smaller buttonholes or do the sewing method. Yeah. Um, it, tell me about your Cotswold. I'm, I'm going to copy you. <laughs> I was going to message you and be like, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to play copycat. I have a, um, oh shoot. What is it? It's a, I have a fleece upstairs. It's not, is it Cotswold? It's a long wool. It's basically the same color as yours, but a little bit creamier. And I've been trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, Cause it was a fleece that I split with my friend Kelsey and my friend Diana. And I've been trying to figure out what sweater to do with it. And then I saw your fleuriste and I was like, Oh, <laughs> but it's, so here's the thing. So I love the sweater and the design is so like, I don't know what, how you felt about your poet. I had not I had Sari's patterns. <laughs> I, I really, really like it a lot, but the chart was really different from me coming from doing Shetland lace where there's like, there's really small repeats of the, the motif where this is more rather than these big paneled panels. Uh, and it's a little less like, I can't like memorize the rhythm as easily. No. And there's, there isn't anything to memorize. No, I just have to talk it out. And so <laughs> like here I am on the couch, like nine at night and I got all these like sheets around me because I didn't, I don't know how to cable soup. Like I know how to cable, but I don't cable well. And so I had like my cable right up and then I had like the charts and then the regular. And I kept saying yarn over, slip, slip, knit, yarn over, knit two together, make bobble one. And my husband was like, how many yarn overs? <laughs> I've heard you say yarn over 10,000 times. That's amazing. I lose my place if I don't like say it out loud. Yeah. Um, but it's coming really well. And I, there's really good breaks in between the charts. Like that's really helpful for me. Um, and when I first made this and I washed my little swatch, everything really lined up nice. So I'm, I'm trying, I could, I guess I could try to block out like a section like steam block it and see how I feel. But the stitches are very, um, they have their own like direction they want to go. Can you see that? I'm going to put you on speaker again so that you're nice and big. So go ahead. Yeah. So my, this, this is all stockinette and I have not changed the way that I knit at all. It's falling. But, but the way that they're sitting together sometimes it's like having kids that are like, get out of my way, get out of my way. Like they yeah. just don't sit really nice. Yeah. And when I was spinning the yarn, 
I had worked with some Cotswold before that did something very similar. And I thought that it was because I had overspun it. It's the long wall. But it's that wave that's coming through. And so with this one, I spun it at a much lower twist. Mm -hmm. And it has a, a, the waves were finer than my previous experience with Cotswold. Um, and I thought, let me just see how it looks after blocking. And it looked fine. So I'm hoping that that will happen. And when I, when I give it like a small tug, everything seems fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think it'll be okay. But the lace is pretty closed right now. And it'll be interesting to sort of see how it, oh, how, yeah. you know, opens up with, cause it has just a few bobbles and yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting the, to see how that shows up. I know. Cause yeah. it's kind of, when I thought long wool, lace, two-ply, you know, you have these like visions of grandeur in your head. <laughs> totally. And then I started working with it and just like the roughness of my hands, like has already made it way more fuzzy than I was thinking. Oh, about. because those tips are popping out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've spun it worsted and I combed it. So, so it's a true worsted prep. I didn't use a diz. I usually just plank off of the combs, but I combed it with, and everything was like uh, butt end forward. Yeah. And then worsted spinning um, so that I could kind of maximize the sleekness, but it is coming out more woolly than I was anticipating. Interesting. Mm. Which, which is, I just, I was like, well, I have my formula in my head, you know? Yeah. Hi nice and sleek and drapey it'll be perfect for lace i mean really i think it'll be fine and it's quite it's still like it'll need a good blocking to kind of stretch out the lace anyways so yeah i think great but was that your fleece and your sweater that you wanted to make for work yes yeah that's cool it's neat to see it kind of come for, like come to fruition like you know you're saying like you wanted like a worsted prep silver from a fleece, long wool, two ply, and then to actually see it come through. Um, I think when you wash it and block it, if you can really pin out that lace, I think it's going to be fine. Yeah, I think so too. And yeah. it's so limited. It's just like just up on the, the two front panels here. And then there's some. Depth, so. And when you look at Sari's version of it um, mm -hmm. and, and of that pattern, like hers is very similar. Um, yeah. You know, it's cool. not like the lace is really clean well it's not like this right where you've got that really right kind of look of superwash merino right like yes yeah right there's no haze there's no there's no halo there's no it's kind of boring you know there's no character in the yarn it's just there but that does look really nice you know like when it you're does. It does, but it looks commercial, you know, like it looks like, um, like it's got that, I'll hold it a bit closer. Like it's, it doesn't have that, um, fuzziness of a long wool or that character of hand spun. It's very, you know, what makes this yarn interesting? Cause this is, um, FL. this is Swan's Island. Um, but it was naturally dyed. So it's that goldfinch and it was kettle dyed. So there's that little bit of you can't really see it on the camera, but there's a little bit of, um, like depth. Yeah. Not a lot, but a little bit. The mm -hmm. actually, funnily enough, I couldn't see when it was in the skein. 
Um, but once it was balled up, you could see a little bit, like you can see it's a little bit lighter here and dark against the darkness of the, um, it, there's like these areas that are a little bit more, again, very subtle. But I think with a sweater like this though, um, if you took your Cotswold yarn and you put it into a sweater like this, it would really, because it's an all over lace, I think you, you would just lose so much of the lace pattern. Some of it's like, how much stitch definition do I really want? You know, like, yeah. and there's, I have a lot of woolly sweaters. So for me, sometimes I go back and forth. I did a, um, I don't normally buy commercial yarn, but I did buy some like speckle stuff for, I did a Hohi Locatelli, um, her Spectre sweater. And I oh, thought, yeah. I, just, I don't know how to like, spin something and I'm not a dyer. So how am I going to like spin something with speckles? You know, like when you're thinking about it and I, I don't know, I'm just going to buy it. Um, and it was very interesting to work with the super, cause it was super wash. And I just, I mean, I was okay with it and it was, and it's beautiful, but it's yeah. just totally different stitch definition, different feel. Different type of creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you miss out. I feel like that's sometimes even if I buy fiber, that's like already been milled, I kind of have that like, oh, I kind of missed out. <laughs> yeah, I always feel like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I do work from prepped fiber so much just because of a time, time constraints. But I do mm -hmm. always feel like I kind of missed that part of it, you know? Right. And I don't like boohoo about it too much. But, no. but it, when I can, I try, I try to get it because the locks are just such a joy, you know? It's just so there's such a loveliness there that you, especially like at a time where everything we do is virtual and it's all like seeing, like having something that's almost, you know, like that's really, really exclusive to touch is like a special treat. So That's really well said. Cause you're absolutely right. And that tactile, I think we're so lacking in tactile uh, experiences in our day-to-day -day life, you know, um, actually all of the, all of the scent, um, all of, all of it, like smell, taste, all of it, you know, we really just use our eyes and we we're so dependent on that. And right. we, we don't get to experience those other, um, those other things very often. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Do you have your mountain, your Montana mountain cowl nearby? I would I love for you all, to chat about that. All the time. I wear this like all the time. So this was braiding color study for those who are um, new to the community. My yarns are actually hanging there on my branch because I never took them down. <laughs> I've just left them. They're so <laughs> yeah, I kind of can't bring myself to take them apart. Oh, but it's Polworth, you know, it's so like, it's so nice right back. Yeah. Any place that's really sensitive. Yeah. But so this is, this was my breeding color study. It looks amazing on you, by the way. Thank you. It was very, um, trying to remember. Wow. Uh, you broke up the colors. I remember that. I did. Yes. And I had sometimes I chose white as the background color yeah. because I knew that there was going to be white in the braid. So I, wanted to see what would happen in the areas where the white ply of the colored skein sort of disappeared into the white of the background. Oh, yeah. 
it's really subtle and only I really think about it and I really notice it. But it is kind of amazing how it helps with that movement of color though. Yeah. And if you're looking for something punchy, you know, whites, you know, white on white's not gonna do it. So um it's it was it really did make it a lot of fun, but there was a lot of times where I cut the colored yarn to transition it faster. Oh, okay. And I do, I did that in, cause I have a, um, oh, the Andrea Mowry one, the shift, I have a shift towel and I did that on that as well. Because as you're knitting, you can kind of see like, I have, I, it's going to be forever till I get to the color I like. Yeah. And then it makes the garment too big or you right. haven't transitioned through the color fast enough for the pattern. Right. And it's like, despairing as it is to like cut your yarn and like skip a section. I knew in the ball, as I was watching, as I was knitting, if I knew that I had a lot of light blue left and I wanted to start the transition into green, I would just sort of wind off, you know, a chunk of it and leave a little and then transition, like try to keep yeah. match the as best as I could. And there are some areas that didn't have as much like this sort of like blending between the yellow and the blue. There's a lot more blue than there is yellow. And there's Oh yeah, I never noticed that. Yeah, mm -hmm. whereas you've got like that, lots of the pinks and the reds and that, that gorgeous right. burgundy. Cause I knew that this, the beginning of the skein was this right here. Cause this is the seam here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I knew that the, the red was at the beginning of the skein. And I also knew that red was at the end of the skein. Right. And I wanted to have the middle color blue, which I could see on my nitty naughty when I was skeining it up, I knew, okay, blues in the middle. So whatever I need to do, if it's going to be a 14 inch cowl or however long the cowl is, I knew that a certain point of inches I needed to like be at blue theme with the color and switch it around. Right. That That's really sense. cool. Yeah, it does. It makes it totally, yeah. Cause the cowl's not really that long. Like I have the pattern I had started it, but I didn't have enough yarn for my contrast. So it's still on my, in my queue. Um, it's not that long. So you've got, you really have to plan it out how you're going to transition those colors. Yeah. It's really because it's not really like a doubled over. You're mm -hmm. really, really one length. And then you just, yeah. Flip. when you do the Kitchener, you just flip it. So yeah. And you're knitting in a tube the whole time. So you've really got to be aware that you're using up quite a bit of yarn. It is amazing how much, and it takes long. Like it, it's not a short knit. It takes way I, longer. Way longer. Cause here's like comparatively, like here's the size of the, of the, um, the, the ship towel. It looks huge and it's only one layer of fabric. Cause there's your backside. And so when I looked at this, I thought, oh, surely this will not take that long. And I just, I got, I mean, it's easy to memorize, but I remember it's thinking long. this is longer than I was anticipating, but it's also it's like double warm. So it's super great. Yeah. And the Polworth is such a lovely fiber to work with. Mm -hmm. It's joy all the way. It is. Yeah. It is super, your, super nice. Your shift cowl. Do you want, can you, I'm not sure I've seen that. I, I think I must've missed that. Yeah, so this is the shift. So this is all hand spun too, right? It's hand spun. The braids that I got, this is, um, I want to say Cheviot. Oh, okay. It, it might be. Friend. I thought 
got it from uh, Hanks in the Hood on Etsy. And I think she it. It was a long time ago. Um, so it's crisp. I like it, but I wouldn't knit it for somebody else. Oh, okay. No. Yep. Like, are they two-ply yarns? Yes, they are two-ply. And I don't remember if the original is three-ply. Um, no, it's two-ply because it's um, it's the spinzilla, the spin cycle. Um, yeah, it's a two-ply in the original yeah. pattern. Right. And I never knew, I couldn't remember because I think they have some that are three-ply. Yes. The dyed in the wool, I think is three-ply. I won't look it up right now, but the one that they used for the shift cowl, I'm almost certain somebody will, um, will tell us, um, they, I'm pretty sure it's two-ply. Yeah. So, but two, two was more approachable for this type of project yeah. when there's much color being moved around. It's just um, too much. So kind of like the weaving project, I picked this like super crazy bright, bright, which I normally don't choose. And then navy and then like a baby blue. Yeah. And they kind of transitioned out of a lot of cool colors. Like mostly the, the blue skeins were cooler. Yeah. And then the fuchsia one was warm, but um, it was a lot of fun. But there were times where I liked a certain section. So I just cut and move forward with that thing so I could get to the ones I wanted. <laughs> and that's another pattern that's really uh, deceptively a lot of knitting. Mm -hmm. Like it's deceiving. I find a lot of um, like I, I, I obviously am a big fan of Andrea. Um, her patterns are deceptive in terms of how much knitting they are because they often are with sport weight yarns. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of knitting in them. You know, you've got a, um, there's a certain number of stitches in it. Right. I yeah. was surprised how much yarn my shift cowl used. I was quite surprised. Yeah. I've always wondered if I could get two out of my like three, four. Yeah. 100, 100 gram Hanks. And I don't think I could get a, get a full two. I mean, I think we had a conversation about this a long yeah. time ago. It would be border. It would be clammy knitting there at the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I almost feel like you'd have to possibly take in, take that into account. And like, you know how at the back you come around and then it eventually gets seamed and you've kind of got that, that small area where like you, you'd have to be open to kind of making that a bit shorter. Yeah, you're that right. That final decrease section, you'd have to start with more stitches and not have it quite so short. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's lovely though. I've made some for other people, some for friends. It's just, That's it's a great pattern. fun. It's like fun. It's fun spinning and fun knitting. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about your, um, your salmon sweater? <laughs> I just, I love that sweater so much. Oh, yeah. I, just, I realized why I'm kind of so taken with this. Um, I was thinking about it on the weekend because I think why I'm so taken with it is because um, Rebecca, Rebby J, she had done a core spun sweater a few years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated when I see these garments that use classically, that use textured yarns that classically most of us as hand spinners are like those. I don't make those because I can't use them. Right. right. And I think that's why I'm kind of so taken with this. And it was the same with, with, um, Rebecca's, um, core spun sweater. It's, it, it breaks down those, those ideas that get really ingrained that 
um, I'm not going to learn how to make those yarns, which make you a technically, like they make you a more technical spinner. Mm -hmm. Like you, people, I, I, I hope that people will be more open to making them as we chat more about all of these yarns over the coming days, weeks, months, years, um, because it makes you a better spinner. But I've realized that's why I'm so taken with this because you had to, you had to make a whole bunch of skeins. Yeah. And I remember the photo of the yarns piled up. They had to be consistent. Mm -hmm. So they might be fun and textured and art yarn, but it's a very technical way of spinning. Yeah. And I'll show you what happens when you're not consistent. So <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Once, so one skein had more, I don't know what happened. I must've made bigger slubs than the other skeins. So when I got down to the bottom, I was working that ribbing. Oh yeah, yeah. So here's the seam right here. Okay. And worked in pieces. Yeah, that was the only thing about that sweater that I was kind of bummed about. And you know, it goes, it goes pretty fast, yeah. surprisingly. There's so many bobbles on oh, this. Wow. Line that it yeah. obscures the ribbing. Yeah. So it gets, it gets a little crazy down there where it's, quite it gets, dense. it's really super dense. And this is the back. Oh, that looks so funny. Yeah, because that was a different skein with slubs that were consistent with the rest of the fabric. Right. I don't know what happened. If you make it. <laughs> it's on keep, my list. Keep the slubs not too big because um, they do get a those are the only parts of the sweater that have pills. They're like the really, really big, big giant slubs. Which makes sense because the slubs in and of themselves structurally are not really very sound. Right. The short right. bits are going to work their way out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it feels really like squishy, but it, yeah. you know, not as consistent with the rest of the fabric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really fun when picking out the colors to like pick out like the two strands that would work really well together. I think in the original, she has sort of like two versions of green yeah. and one positions out of yellow. And there's some blue, I think in the one. Right. Yeah. It's definitely all really close to each other on the color wheel. And I think that's what makes it work. I think you're right because you've got the texture in there. So you don't want the color to compete in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And, or even like a tonal would be fine. Yeah. You know, one color and lots of variation within that color. Yeah. But what made you make it. When what was that? What made you make it? Yeah. This is the original fabric. Yeah, actually it was that. Okay. So it was the picture of the yarn. Usually I'm like, I want the sweater, so I'll make the yarn to get what I want. But that was one of the few times where I was like, I want to make that yarn because I want to like hold it in my hands and, and see what it's like and see what it's like. Cause it was so not what I have at all up to that point. Huh? I love this photo of the model. I just think that is fantastic. Yeah. It's one of my favorite photos that I've ever come across in any like pattern, any like magazine or book or like any, this is like my favorite photo. I don't know yeah. why. Her hair. Yeah, yeah, her hair is phenomenal. And and the texture of the sweater, like they're sort of like two different things, sort of like yeah. juxtaposed. 
together and yeah yeah and with the black jeans it sets it off it's got that contrast that zing it's mm-hmm. just such a fantastic fantastic photo yeah the model the model her I mean she's striking yeah um, like yeah I don't if anybody has this book <laughs> it's yarn and texture for those who don't know anyways so it was the yarn it was wanting to actually feel and hold the skein of yarn mm-hmm. yeah and when I looked at the like the sweater construction I thought well I mean I don't even have to look at a chart so like I wasn't worried about the knitting and it could kind of be just about like because it does take a lot of I'm not going to say like brain power but it does take a lot of control to have consistent slubs yeah so I could kind of put all my like all of my thought into that and then you know yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm excited to make that sweater one day. It's on my list. I have to get, I actually, I have to get fiber for it. Like I don't have, I, I, cause you're right. It has to be tonal and it's got to be homogenous. Mm-hmm. It has to work. Yeah. I mean, and certain, some people like things with more, I'm just not super a stripe. I'm not a super stripey fan. So no. It's just not the fabric that I like, but I know some people love it. And you could make that absolutely crazy and it would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Greta. I'm just aware of the time. I don't want to keep you for forever because I know you came from your weaving class. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you so much for talking to me. And yeah. it's so exciting. I love sweaters. <laughs> I could talk about this all day. We have to do this again. Um, do you want to tell people where you are and where you can be found? You're active on the Ravelry group and you're active in the Slack channel. So what's your username and stuff so that people know who you are? Yeah. So my username on Ravelry and on the, uh, I guess it's on Slack too. Uh, the yeah. warmest, like rose of knitting, the warmest rose and not rose the flower. And then um, my website is gretelinbaxter.com oh for me but yeah i'm not on social media yeah so but but i am on ravelry um in some capacity that's fantastic thanks greta thank you see you later rachel bye